cards where you buy one, get one free. So now I'm torn. Do I be gracious and kind and buy one of these cards from her to show her how much I love her and appreciate her? Or do I look at her and say, get behind me, Satan? <laughs> Bought one of the cards. That's what I did with it. Then, of course, one of you texted me this evening, Friday night. Pray for me, Pastor. I'm driving past Krispy Kreme and the light's on. I did pray for you. I prayed you'd pick up two dozen and bring one to me, and you didn't. So, yeah, that's not what the text said. Anyway, for what are you praying in your life? What are you praying about? What are you praying for? What? What are the things that consume your life spiritually that you are bringing before the Lord? We've spent the last several weeks looking at the opening verses of Luke chapter 11. In fact, we've looked at just the first four verses over the last six weeks out of Luke chapter 11. And today, we're going to go into nine verses. I know what you're thinking, good heavens, six weeks on four verses, and we're doing nine today? Well, we'll be all right, I promise you pretty close anyway, we've spent some time looking at the Lord's Prayer. We've spent some time talking about how the Lord reminds us to pray. One of his disciples comes to him and says to him, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus teaches them to pray. He gives them a priority in their prayer. He, he says, first of all, focus upon God and His glory, and then you move to focusing upon yourselves. But there's a priority to prayer here. Focus upon God and who He is, and then out of that, move to a recognition that He's the one who supplies your needs and focus upon those needs. He gives us a pattern for prayer within this as well. He begins by telling us that the Lord's name is to be seen and experienced is holy. Father, hallowed be your name. Let, let your name be seen to be holy in my existence, in my life, and within those around me. Within your people, let your holiness be seen. And then he prays for the Lord's kingdom to come, that, that God would reign, that that would be our experience, that he would reign within our lives and that he would reign within our community and that people would see the Lord within that. And then he moves to praying, telling us to pray for the Lord's provision. Give us each day our daily bread. That which we need, provide for us, Father. And then he teaches us to pray for pardon. Forgive us, and we also will forgive others. And then he teaches us, as we looked at last week, to pray for the Lord's protection. To deliver us. Do not lead us into temptation, but provide your guidance for us. Now, there's something that's very interesting in that order of prayer. And I want you to catch this this morning before we really get into looking at the next section of this. God's glory, as we see it laid out here in this prayer, God's glory and our needs are all wrapped up together. Do you see that? God's glory and our needs are all wrapped up together. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And so God's glory is to be made much of, but our needs are wrapped up within this. There's not a single part of this prayer that focuses only on God's glory and not on our interests 
or God's interests in us. It's all wrapped up together so that when we pray, give us each day our daily bread, we are reminded that it is the Lord who is the source of that provision. It is the Lord who provides that for us and we are asking that God be magnified in his provision and sustenance within our lives. God is glorified as he provides for us. God is made much of and is glorious seen as he provides for his people. It is impossible to glorify God without your own best interests being taken care of. Because we are to live for God's glory, and God's glory is seen in His goodness given to us. It's impossible for God to glorify Himself without cultivating our own best interests by His amazing love, His grace, His goodness, and His generosity towards us. God is glorified as He takes care of His children. It's one of the reasons that he pushes us to be a people of prayer. Because as we are a people of prayer and we recognize we need him and we are dependent upon him, he is glorified in our lives as he takes care of us. And then Jesus begins now to put some application to this. Look down in verse 5 and let's, let's read the account together. Luke chapter 11 beginning in verse 5. And he, this is Jesus, continuing to teach about prayer. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you. Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now before we jump into this, I, I want to I turn your attention to one word in particular because it's a word that we don't use very often in our language. You find it uh, there in, in verse 8. He will rise, uh, or he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will. It's a word that's not used very often. In fact, if you have different translations of the Bible, you may have different words in this translation. It's, it's almost like the translators were struggling to know exactly what to do with this word. If you have the New International Version, it translates this word as shameless audacity. Yet because of his shameless audacity in coming to his friend, he'll give him what he wants. New American Standard and the New King James Bible, both translated as persistence. The King James Version translated as importunity. The, the Christian Standard Bible translated as shameless boldness. There's, there's something that, that within this is almost difficult to translate. 
But what the word means is that there is something that transgresses the rules of normal social behavior. There's something out of the ordinary in this person's behavior. And that's going to become very important as we work through Jesus' teaching on the importance of this subject in prayer. So I want to just focus on on a few things, on three things that Jesus tells us here about prayer. First of all, having taught how to pray, Jesus now brings application of that, and Jesus wants us to learn to plead in our prayers. First of all, Jesus wants us to learn to plead in our prayers. And he tells us this by way of this fascinating story that he gives in verse 8. Which of you who had a friend goes to him at, at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I don't have anything to give him. This, this would have immediately gripped the attention of the original hearers as Jesus was telling this story because the story had to do with hospitality. We, we think oftentimes of southern hospitality. Southern hospitality is nothing compared to the idea of hospitality in this Near Eastern culture. It was totally, uh, it's, it's a mind-boggling concept that we have. To not be hospitable would be a horrible thing in this cultural context. In the Near East, if someone showed up at your home, announced or not, the idea of not putting something before them is unthinkable. You just didn't do something like that. Um, maybe the best way I could compare this is, is to think of it like this. It, it would be like your wedding day. The florist has prepared all of the flowers. Everything is in place for the reception. Your guests are there at the door, and there's no food for them. Not even the little mints and peanuts. Nothing. There's nothing to give your guests at this wedding. Nothing at all. Does that kind of give you a little bit of an idea how embarrassed you would be? The caterer dropped the ball or, or someone dropped the ball and the food's not here. There's nothing to give to these guests. This is kind of what we're talking about here, but it was just magnified within this culture. So what does this guy do? Someone shows up at his home late at night. He doesn't have any food to set before him. And so here's what he thinks. Okay, I know what I'm going to do. I've got a friend just a few doors down, and I'm going to go to his house, and I'm going to get some food. The problem is it's the middle of the night. Now, again, in this culture, let's put ourselves in, in first century culture here. They would have homes, but most of the homes would be one, one outer room where you would oftentimes have trade and business and things of that, like that. And then there would be back rooms as well, but it's not like the culture in which we live, that the parents have a bedroom and every kid has their own bedroom as well. Nothing like that at all. The whole family typically just lined up in one big room laying on these mats, and there they would sleep. It was the only room that had any sort of heat source at all, and you wanted to have all of the people there together because it would generate body warmth as well, and so this room would be the warmest of all of them for people to sleep. So you can imagine what it would be like if you're going to get up in the middle of the night and do something where you're stepping over Johnny and tripping over Susie and all of this other stuff. You're going to wake up the whole house. If you get up in the middle of the night with something like this, and here this guy comes and he knocks on the door and he says, hey, listen, friend, uh, I've got another friend who just showed up at my house and I've got nothing to give him. Please, can you help me out? I need some food here. 
So what does the man say to him? He says, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So what does the guy do? Go away, we're already asleep. And so this guy, he just, oh, well, all right, then fine, I'll head on home then. No, that's not what he does at all. He doesn't stop. He keeps knocking on the door. No, no, you don't understand. I've got a friend who's here. I really need some food. Please help me out here. But if I get up, I'm going to wake up the whole house. I know. I know you're going to wake everybody up. I'm sorry for that, but I'm desperate. Please, would you help me out? Fine. Whatever. I'm going to get up. I'm going to give you some food. Here's your food. Now go away. Jesus makes an analogy out of this related to prayer. If that friend would get up and get his friend food, not so much because he was a friend, but just because this guy was bugging the daylights out of him with his constant pleading, how much more do you think your heavenly Father, who is good and who loves you, will hear and answer your prayers when you plead with Him? Now listen, please, please don't understand this. Analogies are used in, in a comparison or a contrast kind of way. You, you know, you had to write those papers when you were in school. We want you to compare and contrast these things. Well, this is an analogy of contrast, not of comparison. Jesus is not trying to teach us that God is toward us like this friend who doesn't want to get up. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that God is greater than that. His posture towards His people is totally different, and He is good. He is ready to hear and to answer when His people cry out to Him. So why is Jesus teaching us that He wants us to plead with God in prayer? I want to tell you why I think Jesus is teaching this. I think Jesus is teaching this because most of us have no idea just how needy we are and how vulnerable our situation is. We don't have a clue. You see, this man had a need. His need was to take care of a friend. But we don't even recognize our need. Think about it. Think about it in your own life. When are the times that you have been most faithful in prayer? Just, just think about it and be honest about it for a moment. When are the times that in your life you have been the most faithful in prayer? Has it, has it not been those times when you most sensed your need? This tremendous need that comes up, and it is this need that compels you, that pushes you, that draws you into the presence of God to say, I need this, God. See, the problem is that we fail to realize we're always needy. We just simply fluctuate in our awareness of how needy we are. Sometimes we recognize it more than at other times. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know your need. He says, I want you to plead with your father like a friend who does not have what he needs unless he gets it from another friend. But you see, within this analogy, God is greater than the friend in this illustration. 
And our need is greater than the need in this illustration. It's not just that we need bread to eat. It's that we need salvation. It's that we need to be made right with God. It is that we need Jesus more and above anything and everything else. You see, that's your greatest need today. Your greatest need is Jesus. More than anything else, he is exactly what you need. Some of you, some of you today don't know Jesus. You, you've, you've never been made right with God. Your sins have never been forgiven. And you're still carrying the weight and the burden of this sin upon yourself. And the thing that you need more than anything else is you need forgiveness. You need to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and that he has died to take your sin away from you. It's the greatest need that any of us has to recognize just how needy we are. Here, here at Christmas time, we, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking to each other. What do you want for Christmas? And I, I know it, 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 it aggravatedly am to death with this because she'll come along and she say, "What do you want for Christmas?" My constant reply is, "Well, nothing. There's really not anything that I need. I can't think of anything that I need." I think that's kind of how we think uh, about prayer most of the time as well. Every once in a while, something will come along that we really need, and in that we become passionate about prayer. But we have this mentality, there's nothing that I really need, and so God, I've got it. I can go through life without you right now. And Jesus is saying to us, I want you to plead with God so that you recognize the depth of your need. Jesus is saying we need to realize that our life hangs in the balance 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and out of that we need to plead with God. Not because he's like a friend who doesn't want to get up in the middle of the night, but because you are like that friend who has nothing to give unless he gives you something. That's the whole point of it. Do you ever really feel like that? Like there's nothing that you can do unless God gives you what you need. You and I need to plead with God because we are needier than we think, and our circumstances are more dire than we have contemplated. We need what only God can supply. So Jesus warns us, he teaches us, he wants us to plead with God in prayer. But then on top of that, Jesus wants us to be persistent in prayer. And of course, Jesus teaches that within this story about this friend who comes and knocks on the door of his friend and is not going to go away until he gets what he needs. And the friend is pleading with the other friend. And the other friend is saying, go away. But he doesn't stop. He just keeps on pleading. But look at verse 9 as well. Look at what Jesus says. And I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. Most of us are familiar with this terminology. We've seen it on signs, or we've heard people talk about it. Ask, seek, and knock. Asking, it, it, it is to request a assistance for a conscious need. We realize our lack, and we ask for help. Seeking. It, it denotes asking, but it adds action to the asking. 
not just to express our need, but to get up and look around for help. And then knocking. It, it, it is asking plus acting plus perseverance. Someone who keeps pounding on the door. I need help. I need help. I need help. It, it, it's interesting. Grammarians, you, you teachers might be interested in this. Each of these words is given in the present imperative tense in the Greek language. Present tense means continual action. Imperative is a command. And so this is a continual command within our lives. There's an ongoing force about this, a, a progression to it. Don't just ask, seek. Don't just seek, knock. A persistent continuation of the activity of asking. In other words, Jesus is saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, Keep on knocking. There's the persistence within this. Be regular, be continual, be constant in your prayer. Why? Well, because prayer is the root of vital, living, practical Christianity. It was Matthew Henry who said, those who live life without prayer live without God in the world. Now, Matthew Henry didn't mean this in some sort of legalistic way, like so many people put it today, you know, well, listen, if you don't get up at 5 a.m. every morning and spend an hour in your quiet time, uh, then God's not going to be with you today. That's, that's hogwash. That's legalism. It's not the point of what Jesus is saying here, and I'm thankful for that, because think about it. If God was only with us when we did what we're supposed to do, we'd be in real trouble, wouldn't we? I'm glad he doesn't play by those rules. Here's the point. God has determined for us to experience nearness to Him in this life by communing with Him in prayer. Could it be that maybe, just maybe the reason you feel so distant from God is because there are not things in your life that should be there like prayer? Or there are things in your life that shouldn't be there? You're going to be, to some extent, you're going to be impoverished of the assurance and the sense of relationship and fellowship and communion with God that he wants you to have apart from prayer. And so Jesus wants us to learn to plead in prayer. Jesus wants us to be persistent in prayer. And then finally, Jesus wants us to be expectant in prayer. Let's go back to verse 9 and 10 again. And, and I want you to pick up on this. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Do you understand how mind-blowing this is? What, what does Jesus say? Just look at the text with me for just a moment. What does Jesus say? If you ask, what will happen? Tell me out. If you ask, what will happen? be given. Wow. If you seek, what will happen? If you knock, what will happen? Do, do you recognize that Jesus does not put qualifiers on this? Now, there are qualifiers on this. But Jesus wants to show us the necessity of persistence. There, there are some preachers who love this verse, by the way. They love it. Where the preacher comes up and says, you want a new BMW? Just ask God for it. He'll get you one. 
And then you don't get the BMW and you come to the preacher and say, Preacher, I asked God for the BMW and he didn't give me one. Well, you just don't have enough faith. The problem is with you. And if you had enough faith, God would give you that BMW. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying so, something that is so much greater than this. He's saying not just to plead in prayer, not just to be persistent in prayer. He tells you to expect God to answer your prayers. Now here's the trick. It's not as you pray them, but it's according to the goodness of the Father that he answers your prayer. It's not that you pray them, but it's according to the goodness of the Father that he answers your prayers. That's the basis of all of this. And Jesus makes it clear when he continues by, by giving this familial illustration. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, see here's the contrast again, not comparing, the contrast. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's the basis of it. He says, what of you fathers? Your son comes on, Daddy, I want a fish, I'm hungry. The dad doesn't give him a fish, but instead gives him a snake that'll hurt him, maybe kill him. Or, or the son comes along, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have one of those eggs? Sure, son. He hands it to him, and the trusting little child takes it, and just as he's about to put it to his mouth, the tail of the scorpion swarps up. No. No. Jesus is here arguing from the lesser to the greater. A father doesn't give bad to his children. He loves his children. There are exceptions, but they are the exception that proves the rule. The father doesn't give bad to his children. He loves his children. And think about it for a moment, moms. Just, just understand this as well. We've got the dads in here. Let's think about the moms as well. Imagine that you go to the grocery store and your little bundle of joy is sitting there in the, in the cart with you and you're, you're just going back and forth and then you get to the checkout line. You know what they do at the checkout line at the grocery store, right? Put all of the things that your kids want that you don't want them to have. And so your kid gets there at the front of the checkout line and looks around and sees a shelf of chocolate goodness and looks at you and says, Mom, can I have 14 of those Reese's peanut butter cups, please? And of course, you love your child. So you give them 14 of the Reese's peanut butter cups, right? No. You buy them and keep them for yourself, like any good parent does. No, you give the child the answer they need because you love them. You don't give them what they ask for because you love them. You give them what they need because, they, because you love them. It was uh, John Calvin who said of this very verse, God does not answer our prayers as we pray them, but as we would pray them if we were wiser. Wow. Isn't that good? God does not answer our prayers as we pray them, but as we would pray them if we were wiser. God gives us greater than we even thought that we needed. Let me try to illustrate this, if I can. Old Testament book of Genesis, we have this, this guy named Joseph. And Joseph, we read in Joseph's story that he and his brothers, well, his brothers despised him. 
They hated Joseph to the point that we read in Scripture that they could not speak peacefully to him. You think sibling rivalry is bad in your home. These, these brothers couldn't even speak to each other because of how much they hated each other. Suppose that Joseph one day is, is praying that God would bring harmony and unity to his family. Don't, don't know for certain if he prayed that or not, but it seems like the kind of prayer that Joseph would pray. Imagine he prays that God would bring harmony to his family. You know how God did that? You, you, can, you can read the latter chapters of Genesis, a fascinating story of Joseph and what God did within his life. First of all, how God answers that prayer is, well, Joseph's brothers attempted to kill him. Then they threw him into a pit. And then they sold him into slavery. He goes to Egypt. He was falsely accused by his employer. And he was thrown into prison. There is a famine that comes over the whole region. Thousands of people die within this. Pretty rough time, isn't it? And God raises up Joseph and brings him out in order to deliver his people and the people of Egypt as well. When we get to Genesis chapter 50, we're told that Joseph and his brothers are reunited and they speak to one another, they cry on one another's shoulders, and they embrace one another. See, God took a family where there was a wall a mile deep and a mile high. He brought that family together. But boy, did he do it in a way that Joseph never would have thought. You think Joseph would have prayed for this? Hey, God, listen, I really want you to bring our family together, and I've got a plan how you can do this. First of all, would you have them attempt to kill me and then sell me into slavery, then get me thrown into prison in a foreign land, and then send a famine? And then, No. That was nowhere on Joseph's radar. But God was doing a mighty work, and he answered prayer in a way that it was not even being so what does God do for us? Verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Hmm. Just, just think about your prayers. Let, let's, let's, let's put it this way. Lord, I'm really asking you. I, 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 Lord, I want to marry him. Lord, I want to marry her. You make that your prayer, and God says, listen, child, you have no idea what you're asking for. And I'm not going to answer that prayer the way you want me to answer that prayer, but here's my answer. Child, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. You will be blessed. You will be kept. You will be given grace. You will be given peace. You will be given communion with me. I'm going to give you something better than what you are asking for. When we pray, the answer from God is always yes. Always. It just may not be the yes that we're wanting. But that means it's a better yes than what we envisioned needed. God is going to answer that prayer as if you would have prayed it knowing what he knows and being as good as he is. 
why we can't give our children 14 weeks of peanut butter cups. Because it's not good for them. But we can give them something better. And God comes along and he says, ask, seek, knock. You'll receive, you'll find. The door will be opened, maybe not for the thing you're asking. But something far better and far greater than you could have ever imagined. That is the goodness of our God. That's the glory of our God. That we come to him in our frailty, in our weakness, in our neediness, and we think we know what we need. And God says, you don't even know what you need. Let me give you what you need. And he gives it greater than we ever could have imagined. So the first question this morning is simply this. Do you know him? Personally, relationally, do you know him? Him. If not, I promise you, your greatest need is to know him. Through Jesus Christ, the one who died to take your sin upon himself, the one who was buried, the one who rose back again to life so that you might have not only a home in heaven, but that you might have meaning, fulfillment, and purpose in this life today. Do you know him? Secondly, if you do know him, do you know along with knowing him just how needy you are? You may think you've got everything that you need in life. But everything you think you need could be gone in an instant. Do you realize just how needy you are for him? Your prayers will end it if you truly believe that. So I'm going to ask us to pray together as we close this morning. Praying together that, that the Lord would remind us of how needy we are and that we would live out of that neediness running to him constantly to provide for us in that need. Father, we are grateful to you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to spend together studying your word learning from it, applying it, living it, Father, and recognizing that none of it will make any difference in our lives whatsoever without the strengthening presence of your Spirit to make it a reality. So, Father, I pray today that we would take your word and we would live out of it and that we would find ourselves constantly being brought to the cross of Jesus Christ, trusting and to follow him. We pray this in his name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. As we stand, we'll sing together. And perhaps this morning there's this, been this, um, this realization in your life that you are apart from Jesus, that you are without him. If you'd like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be saved, we would love to begin that conversation with you. From wherever you are, just, just step out and you can just come meet me here and say, Dwight, I, I need to know what it means to be a Christian. I need to know how to be saved. We'll start that conversation with you. If you'd like to know more about being a, a member of this church family, we would invite you to come as well to begin that conversation together. As we sing, if you need to come, you come.